0: James chapter 4, I'd like to read starting at verse 13, and go on down through verse 17. James chapter 4, starting at verse 13, it says, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor. That appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is a revealing passage of Scripture concerning God's will. We began talking about God's will a couple of weeks ago in connection with a question that came in about, uh, does God speak to us today, and if so, how? And uh, we nailed down the fact, I hope, that uh, according to Scripture, we shouldn't be sitting around waiting for God to give us messages to do things uh, before we do what we know to do from the Word of God. If you're waiting for God to tell you you need to get saved, uh, you're, you're mistaken. You need to just respond to what it says in Scripture about the need to come to Christ the Savior and, and repent of your sin. And we moved into the subject of God's will, and we found out that God will accomplish His sovereign, determined will. In Ephesians 1.11, it says, God works all things after the counsel of His own will. We see in other passages of Scripture says God does whatever He wants. Our our God is all-powerful. Our God is sovereign. He's got a sovereign, determined will that's going to be carried out in this world, in our lives, and leading into eternity. We need to accept the reality of this truth. We need to submit to God's sovereign will. In fact, that's what really this passage is all about here in, in James 4. It's not saying we shouldn't make plans. This businessman's not being criticized for making plans. Uh, The thing he's being rebuked for is not recognizing that we can make plans. But we need to submit those plans to God for His approval. And and things don't always work out according to the way that we plan things. When when it comes to doing business, business doesn't always work out the way that we, we would like to, the way that we plan it to. In fact... If it's God's will, you'll continue to do business. If it's God's will, you'll make a profit. Uh, And even when it comes to living, it tells us here our life is like a vapor. And if it's God's will, you'll live for the rest of the day. If it's God's will to call you home to glory uh, today, then, then that is what is going to happen. We can be encouraged by the fact that God is in control and He has a plan. In his plan, he allows us to also make plans and to make decisions and to make choices. But we need to submit our plans to him for his approval, and sometimes he changes our plans. Things don't work out the way that we thought they were going to. Except for what God has revealed in prophecy, we can't know ahead of time what God is going to do. Well, we, we don't know what God's going to do, except when he's told us what he's going to do. We can know Jesus is coming back one of these days. Amen? We don't know when. He hasn't told us. We can't know that. We know he's coming back in power and in glory, instead of like the suffering Lamb of God. But we don't know when that's going to be. Uh, we can't tell that at this point. We are responsible to obey God's revealed desired will there are things that god has told us that he wants us to do but the question we want to wrestle with here this morning and consider scriptures related to that question is this are we responsible to seek out and obey god's individual will for us in matters not spoken about in the scriptures God's told us very plainly in the Bible certain things He wants us to do, certain things He doesn't want us to do. He's revealed His will to us in those areas. But what about areas where He hasn't revealed His will to us? Are we then to somehow seek His will in some other way besides getting into the Scripture? Uh, Do we need to seek God's will as far as the kind of job we're going to work at? Do we need to seek God's will concerning the exact person that we marry do we need to seek god's will concerning the home that we're going to buy do we need to seek god's will concerning what color shoes we put on this morning you Now, the bible doesn't tell us specifically who we should marry doesn't tell us specifically what kind of job we should work in there are principles laid down any job you work at ought to be one where it's honest labor for the believer, any person you marry ought to be a believer. And there are other biblical principles that come into play. Fact of the matter, is God doesn't tell us in Scripture exactly where we're supposed to work, who we're supposed to marry, or what shoes we're supposed to put on this morning. That's not there. But are we to seek then in some other fashion to find out what God wants us to do? Is he going to tell us some way exactly what job we should work at or, or what house we should live in? To just kind of set the stage, we'll we'll, we'll just let you know that we we find in Scripture no exhortation to seek the unrevealed, individual, perfect will of God regarding the various issues of life. That's not here in James 4 or elsewhere in the Bible. We also don't find in Scripture a procedure to follow. To find God's unrevealed will. Okay, if you want to know what my will is and all these specifics, then you take step one, two, three, and 4, and then you'll know what it is. You'll have such and such a feeling about it. Uh, we don't find that. Don't find the exhortation. Don't find instruction concerning a procedure to go through. Uh, what do we find? Well, we do find examples in Scripture of God's revealed desired will. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, we find that it is God's desire that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be delivered from your sins. He wants you to recognize you're a sinner that, that, that needs salvation. So that, that that's point number one. We find also that uh, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and you can flip over there if you like, Well, we find some more about God's will for us. He tells us very specifically here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a chapter we read about the rapture. There's actually more in that chapter than the rapture. In verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you become more like Jesus, become holy, become more and more like the Lord. And if you say, Well, what do you mean? He says, Here's one thing. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. God's will has to do with being saved. God wants us to be saved. He wants us to become holy. When it comes to marriage, we find there's a prohibition. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 that we should not be unequally yoked. If you've got somebody, you think, boy, I'd sure like to marry them. They're a good-looking person. They're, they've got all these great qualities if they don't know Christ as their Savior and you do know Christ as your Savior, I can flat out tell you the will of God is not for you to marry that person. Could it be any more clear in Scripture than that? It's there, written down. You also move over to chapter 7, and it's speaking there to a widow who has lost her husband, and it says there that she is free to marry whom she wishes, but only in the Lord. So, marry, but only in the Lord. There's permission given. If somebody's lost their mate, to marry again. We have the, uh, the right and, and the wrong ways of living laid out there for us. We also find in Ephesians 5, the will of God is for us to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told in Scripture, how, how often should we be thankful? For what kind of things? We should be thankful in what? All things. Be thankful at all that's the will of god for you learn to be a thankful person first thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 we find that we should rejoice when always in go to philippians if you don't get it there philippians 4 says rejoice of the lord when always again i say rejoice and we find in first peter 3 that it's better for us to suffer for doing good than it is for us to suffer for doing evil so God's will is even for sometimes you and me to suffer and to suffer for doing good. We uh, have some examples in Scripture given to us where uh, freedom and responsibility to make wise personal choices is expressed and exemplified. First of all, you you go to the Garden of Eden. Concerning eating, flip back to Genesis chapter 2. And we see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And what God says to them about their about their diet. And what he tells them, verse 16, 17. He says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die picture adam and eve first night eve gets the or, or adam gets the question that men have been getting now for tens of thousands ten thousand years adam what do you want for supper tonight and uh, he he could reply well let's let's seek god's will let's get god's will for what we should eat for supper so they go and they ask god well, what, what should we fix for supper You know what God's answer is? You can eat from any tree in the whole garden here. Eat whatever you want to. But don't eat from this one tree. Well, how would they determine what they were going to eat? They got to choose. They needed to choose. They had to make the decision. And so now for thousands of years, ladies have had to decide what to fix for supper. And men have had to, to maybe pitch in a little bit there. And, you know, well, everything you make is good. So, you know, make whatever you want to, and it'll be great. And, and thank God we don't have to worry about eating from the forbidden fruit, do we? you got that precedent set in the Garden of Eden. God gives you a range, his moral will. Had they eaten from the, the tree of the forbidden fruit, that would have been outside of God's will. And sadly, they did that, and we're still facing the consequences today. But they—they, they, other than that, they could eat any from any tree in the whole garden. Our God's wonderful, isn't He? And all the choices that He gives to us—you know, he, he He gives the opportunity to, to put on different colors of clothes and things like that. Plant different kinds of flowers and and vegetables in your gardens and things like that. God's a God of tremendous variety. He says, "Eat from whatever tree you want to." And then later on, we, we find that Adam's given a... Was given a or before, actually, before this, was given a, a job to do. Uh, verse 19 says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whenever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... It was not found a helper comparable to him. This was a whole exercise to show Adam he needed somebody. But but in in the process, God gives Adam the opportunity to give names. Now, not Bossy the cow and and Fido the dog and things like that, but he's actually classifying the animals just like they do in biology. And uh, as the the hippopotamus comes by, can can you, you picture Adam and say, okay, God, what do you want me to call him? Well, what would God say to Adam there? Call it whatever you want. I'm giving you the choice. And the platypus comes by, and Adam scratches his head. What in the world is this thing? What should I call it? And God would say, call it what you want to. I'm giving you the opportunity to make the choice. I'm giving, and in fact, I'm expecting you to make the decision. And in fact, we read in Genesis 1 that, how is man created different from the animals we are created in the image and the likeness of god and part of that is the opportunity to reason and analyze make decisions and make choices and god expects us to make choices he not only allows us to make choices but we have the responsibility to go through life making wise decisions God is not going to tell you every single thing that you're supposed to do. He's going to give you ranges to work in. And then we make choices based upon those precepts, those principles that he gives to us. Since Jesus fulfilled the law, we have even greater freedom to make decisions. We don't have to follow all the dietary regulations of the Jews because Jesus fulfilled all that law for us. We have greater freedom. Uh, We we have some New Testament examples of decision-making. First of all, there's some terminology we don't find in the New Testament. We find it in churches. And Christians throw this kind of jargon around. Well, I just feel led to do this. God led me to do such and such. And once somebody throws that out, how do you argue with that? But, you know, I've had some people claim that God has led them to do some things that I am pretty sure... God didn't lead them to do it. Because they're doing things that run contrary to Scripture. Uh, we find that jargon, that terminology. But I challenge you, go through your New Testaments this afternoon. We're going to have a question and answer time tonight on this matter of decision-making and the will of God. I challenge you, go through your New Testaments. You find someplace in there where it tells us as believers that we are to seek God's unrevealed, individual, perfect will for our life and what or other we got all kind of directives there we got all kind of commands we got all kind of precepts that are given to us in the new testament we got all kind of principles that are laid out. but you don't find that terminology in the new testament where we're told that we need to seek god's individual perfect will for our lives and we also don't find a procedure laid out there for us any place in the scriptures we don't find any place where it tells you. You've got to find the center of God's will for you. You've got to hit the target. You've got to hit the dot. And if you don't, you're going to mess your whole life up. You don't hit the dot in that one area. What kind of terminology do we see? Well, we see in 1 Thessalonians 3, what where Paul's talking about something that, that, that they did. He writes to the Thessalonians, he says, we, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy to establish you in Romans 1 13. Paul tells the, the, the people in Rome, the church of Rome, he says, I plan to come to you. Turns out God didn't allow him to get there uh, as early as Paul wanted to get there, but it was his plan to go to Rome. Philippians 2, 25 to 26. Paul says, I considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus back to you because Epaphroditus had gotten sick. Uh, the, the, the church in Philippi had, had sent epaphroditus they helped paul while he was in prison in rome and he why is he sending back and i say, well god led me to send epaphroditus back to you he says I, I i considered it necessary to do so first corinthians 7 39 to 40 widow is free to marry whom she wishes only in the lord first corinthians sixteen three to 4 says you approve if it is fitting Acts 6, and I didn't put some of these up there, in Acts 6, the church is told to choose seven men that were going to supervise the matter of feeding the widows in the Jerusalem church. God didn't say, here, take these seven men. What did he do? He said he had the church choose sev- the first seven deacons, basically, to look after that ministry. Uh, Paul says in Acts 15, "Please, It pleased the apostles and elders and seemed good to us. In 1 Timothy 3.1, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. You know, one of the things that's involved in a man going into the ministry is a, a desire that he has in his heart to do so. That, that comes from the Lord, but it's a matter of desiring it. It's not a, a mystical call. You know, one guy claimed that he was out in the cloud outside and, and working, and he saw in the clouds PC, and he said, oh, that must, that must be preach Christ. So he didn't. I didn't do a very good job of it. And somebody said, "You know, I think God was actually telling you to plow corn." So the, some people make the whole call to the ministry a very mysterious thing. Fact of the matter is, I think every young man ought to consider whether God would have them serve uh, in, in that capacity and to give their lives to serve the Lord full time. Uh, over in Romans chapter fourteen, uh, they, they have differences about whether you should eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols and uh we find there's also differences about whether you should uh, keep certain days as very special holy days or if every day belongs to the lord and in first in, in romans 14 it was left up to the convictions of the people that were the eaters it was a, a personal decision in fact romans 14 is a great chapter uh we preached through it before we'll do it again it's a great chapter on how Christians can disagree agreeably. A fact is, we are going to disagree about a whole lot of things. And one of the things we need to do is learn to disagree about them agreeably. I'm not talking about disagreeing about the resurrection of Christ or disagreeing about salvation by grace through faith. But we're going to disagree even about some matters of living out our Christian lives and, and, and even some, some things that concern in church and worship and things like that if we disagree we need to learn to disagree agreeably in romans 14 is a great chapter on that a lot of it comes down to personal choices personal preferences and such things as that in the james 14 passage the the man's not condemned for making business plans he's allowed to make his plans he's not condemned for looking to make a profit if you go into business and don't look to make a profit guess what you're not going to be in business very long uh so that's not what's being condemned there but he's free to make decisions and pursue business matters as he saw fit but he needs to do right and recognize the sovereign will of god and trust god submit it to the lord you know there are are some problems that come up when when you do try to go that route of looking for god's individual will does god want me to go into business here does God want me to work this job? Is this the job, that the, the house that God wants me to buy? And it's not wrong to ask those questions and to consider all the biblical principles that come to play on those matters. And there are a lot of biblical principles. You know, make sure a business you're going to work in is going to be an honorable business. And make sure a house that you buy is going to be one that's going to be within the, the parameters of, of good stewardship. Make sure it's one that you can afford Make sure you're not trying to buy a house for the wrong reasons, just because you could so you can impress a whole lot of people with, with the kind of house that you could have. Now there's a lot of biblical principles that come into play, but I can pretty well tell you God's not going to come and whisper in your ear. Buy this one. Buy this one. Don't buy that one. Now God may close some doors, and I'm convinced He does do that, doesn't He? God ever kept you out of trouble? God ever kept you from making a a bad decision? God does close some doors for us. We're not saying God's not involved in our lives. What we're saying is, should we be led in our lives by, by walking down a real mystical path, or should our lives be directed by what we have in the Word of God and living according to the principles and the truths that are laid down there? Some of the problems that come up are Sometimes people say, well, you need to seek God's will uh, on major decisions, you know, uh, occupation, location, a marriage partner, uh, things like that. But minor decisions, I eh, don't worry about that. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, you don't have to do that when you decide what shirt to put on or decide what restaurants you're going to go to today or, or, or what you're going to fix for dinner today. Well, when you get right down to it, How do you determine between major decisions and minor decisions? And really, when you think about it, as small as we are in this universe, what really is a major decision? Maybe might be major in my life, but uh, how about according to the whole course of the world? So how do you determine between the two? There's also a lot of times when there may be equal options. And insisting only on only one option can uh, that only one option can be correct can produce anxiety rather than gratitude for multiple opportunities that are available to you. Instead of saying, "Thank you, Lord, I, I've got I've got three colleges that I've been accepted to." Thank you, Lord. Uh, some. Somebody might get all upset. But, well, God, you got to show me exactly which school I'm supposed to go to. Now, there's a whole lot of principles involved in selecting a school—financial, spiritual, uh, things like that. But uh, there's a lot of situations where, where there may be equal options, and you have to make a choice. And. Some people might be fearful. Oh, if I choose this one over here and it's the wrong one, I'm going to get out of God's will and my whole life's going to be messed up forever. Well, God allows us to make choices here. And we need to recognize that. Uh, We we find also when you you start going this direction of wanting God to show you his individual will in a lot of these areas, you can uh, come to some immature approaches to decision-making. Like Bible roulette. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? So you open the word of God. Bing. <clears throat> and the guy, you heard about the guy that, that dropped on the, there. and it was Judas went out and hanged himself. No, I don't like that one. So he tries it again. And Jesus says, go and do thou likewise. He didn't like that either. So he hits it again. And Jesus said, what you do, go and do quickly. That's a pretty immature way. To make choices, isn't it? And then also sometimes put people put fleeces out there and they, they use circumstances and things like that to determine if something is God's will. I'll give you an example of that. I went to the football game Friday night. And you know, at the concession stand, they serve soft pretzels. I don't know if they've done that for a while or not. I'm watching all these, these people walk by from where I was sitting with, with Wendy and Ken Cotton there, and and they're carrying these delicious-looking soft pretzels. And Wendy even offered to go and get me one. I said, "Nah, I I probably shouldn't do that. But I I left just before the end of the game, and that went through my mind. You know what? If there's no line at the concession stand, when I walk by, then it's probably God's will that I have a soft pretzel. That wasn't the way that I was determining whether I should have one or not. But that's what I'm... Th- you see what I'm talking about? It can lead to immature decision-making. Okay, I'm going to lay this fleece out here this way. I'm, I'm going to lie. Okay, God, if you want me to do this, then you do this. We, we better be careful about putting God in the... By the way, I did get a soft pretzel. I didn't... There was not a long line at the concession stand. I, I determined I had not had a lot of carbohydrates that day, so that I, it was okay and i took part of it home and i shared it with my wife so that's how i rationalized it justified it and uh, at least i didn't get two anyway i just got one and i shared it but but following this kind of uh, mystical thing can lead to some very immature ways of trying to make decisions and we need to be careful about that also you get the whole matter of, of subjectivity of looking for signs to find god's will or or look at circumstances or impressions and feelings and the fact of the matter is that all those things are so subjective and you're not going to know for certain that these things are really showing us god's individual perfect will none of them alone or all together can can bring absolute certainty that something is god's individual perfect will because they're all open to differing interpretations. I know one person thought that they were looking to start a business. And they said, well, if, if, if God allows us to get a loan, then it must be his will for us to open the business up. They probably should have sat down and done some other figuring themselves to figure out if they were going to be able to pay back that loan. And it, it didn't end up in such a good situation. there. But you need to be careful. Uh, can also produce anxiety and discouragement as people are looking for God's will and they can't find it they're waiting for God to tell them what house they should buy they're looking for God to tell them exactly the, the the one person that they should marry and they're they're fearful if I don't marry exactly the right one you know God can lead you the right one I never in my life ever dreamed that I'd marry a girl from Indiana I grew up in Pennsylvania but you know, God, work, God does work, doesn't he? He does have an individual will for our lives. And he works providentially and he works beautifully. Uh, he directs the steps of a good man, we're told, aren't we? Uh, we, we read that we, in, in Proverbs chapter 3, that we should not lean on our own understanding, just on our, but, but we ought to trust the Lord, commit our way to him, and he'll keep our path straight he'll, he'll help lead us in in, in the, he does lead us in, in the right direction but not by telling us all kind of things and one of the things he does is he gives us opportunity to make choices and the other thing is that this matter of just looking for this mystical individual will of god the the the, the dot which is the center of god's will it's just not biblical I really believe that that God leads us in the same way that he does with Adam and Eve. Here here it is. Here's all the, the, here's the whole realm here. And he puts puts some moral absolutes around it. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Love God. Love others like you love yourself. Husbands, love your wife like Jesus loved the church and gave himself for. We got all kind of directives, don't we? And if we'll live our lives according to those directives, we'll be a whole lot better off. There's no exhortation, nor is there any instruction in the Bible about finding God's individual perfect will. A whole lot of of the aspects of his moral will are revealed to us to follow. Repent and trust Jesus to be saved. Love God and others. Share the gospel with others. No, don't wait for God to lead you to share the gospel with somebody. If he's brought somebody into your life, choose to share Jesus with them. Choose to tell them what Christ did for them. I think there's too many Christians that are sitting back just waiting for God to to lead them. You don't need God to lead you. He brings people into your life. I'm not talking about cramming our faith down somebody's throat. There's a place for doing it in a kind, considerate way. But I'll tell you what, any unsaved person that comes across your path is is ripe territory to let them know that, hey, Christ loves you so much, he died on the cross for you, and you can be forgiven from all your sins. You can know that when you die and leave this world, you're going to heaven. You don't have to wait to be led to do that. It's God's will for you to do it. He's laid that down pretty clearly in Scripture. We're to go into all the world, and as we're going, we're to preach the gospel to anybody that comes across our path, to make disciples of the whole world. So we don't have to, to wonder, is it God's will for me to share the gospel with this person here? That, now, sometimes you might start to share with somebody, and they might shoot you right down. Hey, I, I'm not interested. I know what I believe. I don't need to lead anymore. And you don't have to force yourself on it. But it is God's will for you to be active witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's will for us to season our speech with grace. When we speak to people, we have to recognize God is the witness to every conversation that we have, every word that we speak, and our, our tongues that we have are so powerful that God's given to us. We can use them to build people up, or we can build them to tear people apart. And I can tell you flat out that in Scripture we're told, don't use your tongue to tear people apart use your tongue to build people up we're, we, we were told there in first Thessalonians 4 here's my here's my will for you your sanctification flee immorality you now sometimes people wonder well should I get involved with this person in, the, in, in a physical way or so? tell you what if you're not married no you shouldn't contrary to God's will you know what God's given us enough here to focus on haven't we we got people that want to ignore so much of that, and they want to look in the other areas. Okay, God, lead me. There. Give me some feeling concerning Your will in this matter. Next week, we'll focus on factors that we can consider in making wise, God pleasing decisions. I uh, thought maybe we might get this far this morning, but you know, the more I looked it over, I realized we wouldn't. And that pretzel I ate on Friday night—it's gone. And I'm hungry, and you're hungry, and so we'll. Wrap, I think it's God's will. I'm making a choice, a wise choice, to wrap it up here. Amen. Or we can stay for another half an hour. You choose. Now I'll make the choice. We'll wrap it up here. You focus on doing God's will, as laid out in Scripture. And we'll come back next week, and we'll look at some factors that we can consider in making wise, God-pleasing decisions. And we'll try to answer some of the questions you might come up with tonight, and maybe even share a few examples and things like that. But the key thing is, we go through life living our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, striving to please Him. You know, in fact, Jesus, He took the whole law, and He broke it down into two components, And if you live your life according to these components, you'll be doing God's will. Jesus said we should love the Lord our God. How? All of our heart, our mind, our soul, everything within us. What's the second component? We should love our neighbor as ourselves. That's God's will. God's revealed will. That ought to drive everything that we do, shouldn't it? as we live for the Lord Jesus. Would you take a hymnal, please? Turn with me to number 372. 372. I pray this is your goal, your desire, to live your life each and every day for Jesus Christ. If you're here and you don't know him, we'd love to share with you how you can know Christ as your own personal Savior, even this morning. Let's stand together while we sing.